is Jared and the GM on ESPN 1025. The game, he's the GM, Floyd Reese, Titans and Chiefs coming up on Sunday. And I think we all can agree, if the Titans are going to have any prayer, any prayer of winning this game, Derrick Henry's going to have to run the ball because the Chiefs are susceptible to giving up the run. Derrick Henry is susceptible to running a lot. And quite frankly, the easiest way to keep Patrick Mahomes from killing you is to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. And I'm operating under the guise that Mahomes plays Sunday. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah. Unless they, you know, yeah, I mean, he could get real sore tomorrow or he could swell or any of those things could happen, could affect their, their opinion. But I think he practiced a little bit last week, too. So. so leadership, I guess, has been a big question on the Titans. And obviously the quarterback, we've touched on that a hundred times over, that this quarterback seems like a better leader than the last quarterback. Then you had Eddie George going on across the street, basically saying that nobody respects Taylor Lewan as a leader, which, by the way, is a huge statement for Eddie to make because you and I both know Eddie, and we both know Eddie's not saying that just to say that. You know, Eddie said Eddie knew what he was saying when he said that. Right. Like, Eddie knows that if he says that questioning Taylor Lewan's leadership, Eddie George knows that I'm Eddie George who is saying this, and everybody's going to see this, and everybody's going to talk about what I said. So clearly Eddie's trying to send a message, which wouldn't be the first time that a Titan great has tried to send Taylor Lewan the message. Remember when Derek ripped his rear end pretty bad about four or five years ago? I mean, Derek gave it to him, and he, they've even talked about it on the air of Lewan saying, yeah, I heard it, and I, my feelings were so hurt when I heard it that I had to look in the mirror. I'm paraphrasing what Lewan said, but it was something along those lines. And so that's a question with leadership. And then, Der- and then Vrabel was asked today about Derrick Henry's leadership. So this is what Mike Vrabel said when he was asked today about Derrick Henry's leadership. What's Derrick like as a leader? I think that Derrick, you know, by, by being, I would say good, very good. You know, and I think that um, I try to get him to, to understand that, that by his... Um, the way he practices, the way he finishes, um, the way he conditions in the off season, the amount of time that he spends, how he performs uh, in conditioning and in a weight room, you know, the, the toughness in which he plays with, I think that that's how he leads. And um, we all have different abilities. And I know that when he does those things on the field or you watch him in the off season uh, do those things, it certainly uh, would inspire me uh, if I was a player. So what do we make of what Vrabel said there? What do we think of the term leadership? And what do we think of the dichotomy between what Derrick Henry's actual leadership might be and what fans would be able to see or consider as leadership? Uh, I mean, I think what Mike said was right on with, with Derrick. Now, again, I don't, I don't personally, I, you know, he and I haven't been to dinner, so I don't know him that well, but I know where he came from. And and just watching him since he's been here, I I don't see any of that that has changed. So I know he understands. I I know what his work ethic is like. I know the kind of person he is. Those kinds of things, and I think that's that's really really important. Um, so I mean, I think Mike probably hit it right on the head. And I think I, I mean it would be hard if you're on that team anywhere on that team to not look up. At Derek, you know, appreciate the fact he's on your team. 
Well, okay, but that's all nice and good. But in terms of leadership, you know, the, hey, he works hard, he plays hard. What's the – I mean, I, I think the question is here is, is who is going to be able to carry the Titans the rest of the way? Who's going to be able to lead the team? And then the question for Derek is, is Derek going to be able to lead the team going forward? And I, I well, guess – Well, Derek's going to lead the team by performing. That's the way he's going to lead. Now, if we're thinking he's going to have a team meeting and get up in front of the guys and, you know, say whatever people want him to say, he's not going to do that now. He's going to – his Mike hit it on the head. He, his leadership is performance. Don't listen to what I say. Don't, you know, don't worry about what comes out of my mouth. Just emulate what I do. And if you do that, we'll be in good shape. So I'm not one to judge on who's a leader and who's not a leader. I think it's easier sometimes to look at somebody and say, okay, that dude is not a leader, i.e. Baker Mayfield. Like, he's not a leader right now in the NFL. Uh, he might be one day, but he's not right now. And he's trying to be, but he's not. I, I can't. I don't know if Derrick Henry's a leader in that locker room. I'm not in that locker room. I'm not a player on that team. Yeah, but Those I, guys I, know, and the fans, right. I think the fans don't see, you know, after every game Derrick Henry spouts off the most obvious BS all the time. The only person Derek has ever been critical of in his four years as a Titan is Derek. He has literally never been critical of anybody else. And when when the Titans were when all that Mike Malarkey stuff was going on, they win at Kansas City in the playoffs, and Mike Malarkey basically chucks the front office under the bus in his post game press conference. Mariota goes out there and takes up from Malarkey. Derek Henry's asked about it. Derek Henry, I'm paraphrasing, but Derek Henry's like First of all, Derrick Henry was asked, so do you want to say something about your coach? And Derrick just goes, oh, uh, you know, that's all outside noise. We don't listen to outside noise. Like, like he's just so noncommittal on everything that doesn't have to do with him. But, but because he's that way and he doesn't get up in front of the media and say things like, oh, we will show up. He doesn't do that kind of stuff. Makes fans think he's not a leader. He's just a player. Well, and I'm not ready to say that. Yeah, see, fans think... You you know, you have to be the mouthy guy to be a leader, and you don't. You don't. Now, if you are Tom Brady and you're the mouthy guy, then, yeah, fine. You, you, you can be a leader that way. Most of the guys, it's just like everything else in life. Most of the guys that talk about being a leader and wanting to be a leader and getting up and doing all the chattering – are not leaders. You don't worry about the guys that talk about it. You worry about the guys that aren't saying anything, that are going to work every day, that are doing exactly what the coaches want, that are the the um, the exactly what you're looking for from a player standpoint. You know, working real hard, productive, does everything he's supposed to do, no complaints, practices every day. I mean, all those things are are key. And if you're a young guy, if I'm a young guy on that team, now I don't know. I, you know, the guys, and I don't, part of the problem with the offense is there aren't a lot of good um, leaders. I think had, leaders or players. I think if Tannehill had started the year as a starting quarterback, I think by now he might be a really good leader. But he didn't, so that kind of throws him back. But you go, th- and I would say, I would just guess, now, this is an outsider looking at it. I would say Derek is an influence as a leader. I would say Ben Jones is an influence as a leader. Because, again, what does Ben Jones do? 
Well, all he does is show up every single week and give you every ounce he's got. Now, is he truly blessed as a, as a Bruce Matthews type athlete? No, he's not. But he's going to go out there and he's going to work. And if everybody on the team does exactly what he and Derek do, then you're going to win. And so I think that's it. You know, those kind of guys are just the kind of guys that, that, you know, you look up to. The problem is they're not, you know, Eddie George by this time in his career, you know, had been rookie of the year, had been to three Pro Bowls Mm -hmm. and and had, you know, rushed for well over a thousand yards every single year. Well, Derek hasn't done that yet. Not and I'm not pointing the finger at Derek because we know we had DeMarco and we know, you know, all the issues involved here. Um, but I think that's the difference. You know, Eddie at this point in his career, I mean, he'd done it all. He'd been there. He'd, you know, what do you, and, and still was a Derrick Henry kind of guy. You know, Eddie wasn't a real mouthy guy. Eddie was, that's why when Eddie did say something, Man, oh, man, it was E.F. Hutton, you know. Although I will say this about Eddie George. There were two things that that are true leadership. I shouldn't say true leadership moments, but moments that the fans can latch onto and say this guy's a leader. One was in the first home game against Cincinnati. The Titans made their comeback, and the camera caught him, and he was mic'd up or whatever, and it was Eddie getting on the bench, waving the towel, screaming for the fans to get up out of their seats. And that was played probably every game until Eddie George retired. You know, was Eddie George up on the bench with the towel waving for the fans to get up? And so that looked like a leader. Now this goes back to fans see rah-rah on the sidelines and they think that's a leader when maybe it is or it isn't. The other was the Baltimore playoff game, which was Eddie George's last win as a Titan. But when he knocked Ray Lewis over and then got up in Ray Lewis's face, that right there was, hey guys, I'm taking this team right now. Let's go. Screw the Ravens, let's go. Because he takes Ray Lewis out with a with a bum shoulder and then gets up and gets in Ray Lewis's face. And that, like, could, would you ever imagine Derrick Henry doing that? Oh, I mean, it, it would take something, but I could see him doing that. Now, Derrick Henry doesn't have a rival like Eddie George and Ray Lewis yeah, were rivals. Yeah, you know, those two were true rivals. Yeah, but I would imagine if somebody tackled him and, you know, in the pile poked him or grabbed him or did that a couple of times. He might rear up. But that's not the same. I mean, Ray Ray didn't do that to Eddie. Eddie got up in Ray's face because because Eddie laid the wood to him. And you don't want, I'm going to (laughs) guess, you don't want a 6'4", 240-pound running back, you know, getting up in your face. I'm just (laughs) saying it wouldn't hurt. Like, you know, let's say he trucks Heakley over last week. Or I, I don't even know who a good defensive player for Kansas City is. But he trucks one of these. He trucks Darius Leonard over when they play Indianapolis, and those two get into it. Like that will get the fans excited. Then people will say, hey, "That guy is a leader," but it doesn't necessarily mean he is a leader, and also doesn't no, mean he's not. That's but saying. that's how the fans feel. See, he doesn't. He doesn't care what the fans feel. He doesn't care if they think he's a leader or not, and that's not what's important. You know, if that, if anything else, stuff like that generally propels the opponent. They're the ones that, you know, get riled about it uh, because they're not, you know, your team's, 
like I said, the guys that talk about it, the guys that play the game of being a leader, generally are not leaders. Let's take your phone calls. Vrabel says Derrick Henry is a leader. Do you think Derrick Henry is that kind of leader? And can the Titans ride Derrick Henry to try to make the playoffs? We'll discuss that next. 615-737-1025. 615-737-1025 is the phone number. Jared and the GM, of course, is live from the wholesaling studio powered by RumbleOn.com. Speaking of Derrick Henry, show us why you're the biggest Alabama fan for the chance to win a cabin on the Crimson Tide Cruise February 10th through the 15th. The second annual Crimson Tide Cruise will set sail from New Orleans to Cozumel and Yucatan, Mexico on board the Carnival Valor. It's national championship worthy vacation with your favorite Alabama sports legends. Send us a picture by Twitter with a hashtag Bama Cruise or upload a pic at thegamenashville.com. Book your cruise at crimsontidecruise.com and get $150 off with promo code GAME. Jared and the GM CSPN 1025, the game. Like, do you look at this game at all? Like, swaying backs against the wall, season on the line, or is it just the next game? It's in the National Football League. Every game is, is probably as must win as you can get. Um, it's the next one. It's a, it's a great challenge. It's a heck of an opponent. Um, our guys were focused this morning already. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that when we go out to the practice field, we can carry the meetings. Um, out to the field and, and be able to uh, start the week off on a, on a great note. Mike Vrabel, you hate questions like that, don't you? Is this a must-win game, Coach? Oh, yeah. Makes no sense to me. Well, like, it, you know, we all know the reality, right, of what, like, a must-win is and what a So must- why are you asking the question? I'm not defending the question. <laughs> That's good. To, uh, the only thing you want is you want him to say, this is a must win. So that tomorrow the headlines read, Vrabel claims this is a must win. Well, you had to see. And you, put you had the to pressure tell, right on him. You, That's, you know what? He's too smart for that. Well, you had he to, has been through it. You have to see who asked the question. In well, that case, I don't care who. it was John Burton. Well, this is where it matters. So John Burton, for example, a TV guy, in TV – they have, what, two minutes for a sports cast every day where it's like Austin P football all practices today for the big game against Maryville Central. Following that, Vanderbilt basketball in action, the first game in the Stackhouse era. Johnny Jones with a big three. Then it's the Titans and the Chiefs play Sunday. Coach Vrabel, is this a must-win game? And then they play like the little clip. Like that's all TV needs. So, like, what a TV person wants, what a writer wants, and what a radio guy wants, two, three totally different things. Uh, you know, all that may be true, but if he would have said, this is a must-win, I don't care if you're on the radio, we would have talked about it tomorrow, at least two or three segments. Probably it today. would have been on every TV station, and it would have been the headlines of every sports paper. I mean, it was that's the way it would be, and he knows that. So I'm glad he's smart enough to not fall for the trap. Hey, Vrabel's smart. I mean, this is what kills me about Vrabel uh, and his coaching. Well, we'll get to that later. But we were talking about your numbers. Pull out your numbers, please, Floyd, and explain to the people the numbers, what I call the defense of Arthur Smith statistics. Oh, I threw them away. You threw your post-it note away? I, I did. But it is, this is it, generally speaking. We were talking about uh, the things that people call and complain about f- versus for Arthur Smith and for Vrabel. 
And over the last couple of days, we've been, you know, the fourth down thing has been forever. And everybody complained about it. So we had all those analytics gurus come in and say, no, no, those are the right calls. That's well, I still don't are. agree with that, by the way. I don't care if you do or not. They are, they are, the numbers prove it. The analytics people say, yes, that's what you should be doing. Then we talked about uh, Arthur Smith and what about the offense. And we said, well, you know, we three out. He's been a, he's had a quarterback for three games. Two of the three games we've gained 400 yards, thrown for 300 yards, and are perfect in the red zone. So, I mean, can you be unhappy about things? Yeah, you can. But then, so then we talked about the other one, Derrick Henry. We got to feed Derrick Henry. Feed Derrick Henry. Let the big dog eat. Derrick Henry is the number four rushing attempt guy in the NFL. He's one behind McCaffrey at Carolina that we saw last weekend. In one more game, though, than McCaffrey. 13 behind the guy that is the the leader in the league. Um, and then we talked about, well, you know, you, you got to get the ball to the receivers. We're not getting the ball to the receivers enough. Receivers are, I want to say, 33 receptions more this year than they had at this point in time last year. And the passing offense is 350 yards more effective this year than it was last year when the present head coach of the Green Bay Packers and the hottest young head coach in the NFL was in charge of the offense. So that's my only point was I was just giving, you know, people a little fodder, something to think about. So. With your, with your, you know, your heart, do you believe that Derrick Henry, as much as Arthur Smith has given him the ball in spite of what the fans think, do you think he can carry the team the rest of the season? Oh, That they can ride him to getting themselves into the playoffs. Yeah, see, I mean, if you're a good offense, I mean, hopefully you're not having to do that every week. I mean, hopefully you can mix it up enough. I mean, it's not like... We're not effectively throwing the ball now. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I don't want to put it all on Derek. Is he going to have to be an integral part of it? Absolutely. I mean, Derek is going to have to go out every week and get his. And and if there's a giant plus to Derek, I think over the first few weeks, it's not we haven't seen the 200-yard games, but we haven't seen the – 15 yard games either mm-hmm. you know he's gone out every single week and he's put up his 70 or 80 or 90 or whatever the number is so that at least gives you something to count on now the negative runs are something that that we're gonna have to take care of but um at least you're getting a little something out of them on a weekly basis now that we it appears we're going to be able to throw the ball a little bit better well now you can complement both of those things and it's like the caller said today, you know, there may be running down situations where you can run a play pass and make it work. Breaking news, the Kansas City Chiefs have put out their injury report for today. 
Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes has been listed as a full participant in practice today. Now, you, as you brought up last hour, you saw the video of him warming up. And that's when, when they show little clips of guys at practice, all they are allowed to show are like the first five minutes of them stretching. And then after that, once the guys start right. throwing Warm balls, yeah. once you start picking the football up, the cameras go off. So yeah. it's not like we watched anything that Mahomes did or didn't do today in practice. But you were a little concerned watching how he was warming up. That having been said, Mahomes was a full participant today in practice. Which is... A bad sign. Well, yeah, but not really a surprise. I mean, I think we all expect that. I mean, I expect Mahomes to play. Yeah. I mean, I expect him to play. I expect him to play well. Because the one thing I do know is Andy Reid's not putting him out there with the bye next week if he's not 100%. There is no way that he can go out there and re-injure that knee, or else Andy Reid is not putting him out there until after the bye. Yeah, he re-injures the knee. You know that could be something serious, and that could end your season. So yeah, and so, so Andy, I mean, I, I think Andy is smart enough. So just passing that along, that uh, you know, just passing along that Mahomes, a full participant today in practice. If Mahomes plays, do the Titans have a chance? They got. It. They beat him before. Not Mahomes. Who was the quarterback when when we played him? Alex Smith. In the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. Well, who was the coach too when you, when <laughs> your coach when you played him? So I mean, everything's well, I different. I was thinking, yeah. When last? When did we go to? Was that the last time we played him mm-hmm. in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought we had another time in there. No, the other time felt like a playoff game. Suck up, hit the fifty-three yarder to win in like zero degree weather. Back when Suckup made his kicks. Um, but that was the year before that that got the Titans back into the playoff race. And that was the, the, those were the last two times the Titans played the Chiefs. You actually go back to that game against Kansas City, the wild card playoff game. It's almost downright miraculous that the Titans won that game. Almost. I mean, it was uh, the first half, they couldn't even get off the field, they couldn't do anything. Kelsey gets hurt. I mean, then the Titans come out in the second half, run the ball. Mariota throws a touchdown pass to himself, followed by followed by Adoree Jackson muffing a punt at like the 35 that sets up Harrison Bucker, who hadn't missed all year, and Bucker hits the upright and misses a kick. The Titans come down and they take the lead, and then on like a fourth and three with the game on the line, all Kansas City needs is a field goal because the Titans won that game 22-20. So all they need is a field goal, and Alex Smith lays the ball out there right in the hands of the wide receiver, and he drops it, and the Titans win the game. I mean, I, I thought that was pretty miraculous, that the fact that the Titans <laughs> yeah, came yeah, back to win that game. I would say miraculous do you remember is the, right the Do you remember the Derrick Henry non-fumble? No. So, no. like, late in the game, Titans are trying to run the clock out, and, uh, and Derrick Henry gets the ball, and he goes down, but the ball comes out, and Kansas City runs it into the end zone for a game-winning touchdown, and they show the replay, but you had to see the camera on the other side, which shows he's clearly down, but you didn't see it at the beginning. Chris Sanders was in here and walked all the way down the hall. He was so mad. <laughs> like, uh, just perfect. 615-737-1025 is your phone number, 615 737 uh, Jayon Brown, Jarrell Casey, Corey Davis, Delaney Walker uh, did not practice today for the Titans. So Davis with a hip injury. 
Jayon would, you know, I think he re-aggravated that groin last week. Uh, ben Jones limited with a concussion. Landry limited with a shoulder. Milton limited with an ankle. And Cameron Wake, not injury-related, limited. So I think Cameron Wake, Day old, off. Day off. limited. Yeah. 615-737-1025 is the phone number. 615-737-1025. The college football playoff rankings are out. Clemson is out of the playoffs if it started today. But have the rankings at this point kind of lost their luster? We'll discuss next. Hey, Preds fans, don't miss tonight's Smashville Live featuring special guest, former Preds great Mike Fisher. We'll be at, uh, the Smashville Live will be in Cool Springs at Brew House South at 7 o'clock. Braden Gall will host the show, and fans can also win tickets to an upcoming Predators game. A limited amount of autographs or pictures will be available, so be sure to get there early. This Wednesday night's Smashville Live is brought to you by New Amsterdam Vodka, Spring Hill Heating and Cooling, and Yeehaw Beer, along with Red Spirits and Wine. Jared and the GM, CSPM 1025, the game. I think the big thing to take away, because the shock will be that Clemson's down at five. If you're a Clemson fan, take a deep breath. Everything is fine. The two two of the, the teams in front of Clemson all play each other. You, you have Ohio State playing Penn State, LSU playing Alabama. If Clemson wins out, they're in the playoff. Whether they're going to be two or three or four, they're going to be in the playoff. So they don't need to panic because they're sitting there at five. Are we ever going to be able to catch up? It's, it's, yeah, it's, and, it's and, irrelevant. And one, I mean, one thing it does, it snaps a streak of 25 straight ranks. Wow. Which they've been in and the I'm top. Definitely. I was so happy oh, about that. And, and, oh, yeah. and if you've watched Clemson play too, here's the thing, right? Yes, what happened against UNC happened, but that was also four games ago. Right. Yeah. In the four games since that, they've beaten people by 163 points. Right. They have been so dominant. The fact is, in college football, as the season goes on, teams get better. Or they sure. get worse. We saw it in sure. 2014 with Ohio State when they lost Virginia Tech. Ended up winning a national championship. Happened at Clemson last year. Clemson's trajectory right now, they are a way better team than what they were sure. just four weeks yeah. ago. And when Trevor yeah. Lawrence plays like this, their defense has been outstanding all year. There's but, no reason to believe they're not going to make it. Clemson's the lock to make the playoff. Jesse Palmer, Clemson checks in at five. And you heard all everybody on the panel there saying, good for Dabo Sweeney to have Clemson at five. Because you know Dabo's walking into the meeting rooms today saying, I don't think we're very good. They don't think we won the national championship game by 45 points last year. They don't think we're very good. And surely Dabo's going to use that as a motivational tool. The problem is, is when the first playoff, the first year of the playoff rankings, 2014, I will never forget when the first ranking dropped and Mississippi State was number one and like. Ole Miss was number three, and Auburn was number four, and Bama was number five. And I remember everybody was like, oh, my God, Mississippi State is number one. Alabama's number one. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And everybody freaked out every week about what the committee was doing. And then the last week of the year, Baylor won, TCU won, Ohio State won, and the committee just decided, nah. Ohio State put them in. And they put Ohio State into the playoff, even though Ohio State was out. Every year we've had the playoff rankings come out. Every year they've been discussed when they come out. And it just feels like the more, this is what, the fifth year that we've had the playoff now for? It feels like now we're at the point where the rankings come out and everybody, they're there and we see them, but we really take them with a humongous grain of salt and we don't really consider them to be gospel because so much is yet to have happened. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're so much better educated on on what the schedule is and, you know, who's going to play who and things like that. So we know that what, what they're, what you see today 
is not going to be this way in a couple weeks. Case in point, and, two of the four teams all play each other. Yeah, Alabama, so, LSU, I mean, Penn State, Ohio State. A couple of those teams are going to drop out right now. You know, the question always is, what happens to the teams that aren't that aren't already the top four, but that are five, six, seven, whatever else, um, and and most of those teams have a loss. And so I think where it gets really, really interesting is when we get down to teams that are one-loss teams, and then where do you go from there? You know, all the undefeated teams, I think, will end up in the, in the playoffs. You know, whoever whoever wins out in the SEC, if somebody does, you know, if not, then you're going to be looking at, at one-loss teams. Well, and you're saying, okay, who, who, you know, who of this group is best? That's why I think at some point in time it's going to come down to the eyeball test. The two things the committee has held true on, in my opinion, the entire time, like they've changed what they've wanted, and the committee has had different people on it and different chairs, so it has changed over time. But the two things, so like one-year conference championships matter, which is why the Big 12 now has a conference championship game, is because the, the, the committee said Ohio State's in and Baylor and TCU are out because they had a championship game and you don't. So then the Big 12 said, we got to get a championship game. Then Penn State wins their championship game. Alabama doesn't even qualify for their championship game. Alabama gets in. Penn State's out. So obviously that year the uh, conference championship didn't matter that much. But the two things I think the committee is completely held true for. If you're undefeated, you're in. The only way that this would ever be an issue is if the Power Fives all had one undefeated champion, which is where it's really unfair for the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 plays the extra game Plus, they play a conference championship game. So it's really unfair for the Pac-12 in that regard. So that's the first thing that's held true. The second thing I think that's held true for the committee over the the last handful of years is that they are willing to give the SEC the benefit of the doubt. So that if you have a handful of one-loss teams, the best one-loss team from the SEC is getting in. And that, I think, is also fair. Like, I understand why they do that. If Georgia has one loss and your choices are Georgia, Oregon, or Oklahoma, I'm taking Georgia because Georgia, A, had to beat Notre Dame and Florida, but Georgia plays a harder schedule than Oklahoma plays. It's as simple as that. And Oklahoma might be a better football team than Georgia. I've watched Georgia play a lot this year. I haven't been overly impressed with any game they've played. Now, I thought they played well Saturday against Florida and they played well against Notre Dame and but I haven't been just knocked off my socks with any game that the Georgia Bulldogs have played this year. But if Georgia has one loss, they're getting in. And that has been, in my opinion, the two constants that the committee has had. So I apply that philosophy as to what's going to happen with the playoff, which is why the winner of the SEC will go to the playoff. Then Clemson will go to the playoff because they will be an undefeated conference champion, power five, Clemson's in, and then whoever – this is where things get tricky. I don't think Penn State would beat Ohio State, but if Penn State does beat Ohio State, Penn State might lose another game along the way, and then that really murkies it up for the Big Ten. But if Ohio State wins out, which I think Ohio State will, then Ohio State's in. So then there's one spot for the rest of everybody, and even that will all change because they could just decide on the last week of the year – 
LSU, they could jump LSU over Oregon for whatever reason they want the last week of the year if that's where we get. And so that's why I feel like a lot of these rankings and the discussion of the rankings, it's lost a lot of luster because, one, you know so much has to change, and two, the committee ultimately will just roll out of bed and just kind of decide last minute what they want to do and who the four teams they want in are. Well, which is why, again, that you know that you have to be careful about who's on that committee because you've got to make sure that the people on that committee are legitimate people and not just you know bs stuff because then you you end up with what some wacko job you know that finds a way to get a team in there that you know two thirds of the country can't see doesn't understand and uh, and try to explain it some crazy way. I mean, the the, the way this, this thing stays legitimate, in my mind, is they have to put some core, some set of parameters out there that are consistent. I don't care who's running it. I don't care who's voting. I don't care. These parameters are written in stone. And, uh, and then you've got to have people that, you know, at a point in time will probably have to give it the eyeball test and figure out which team they think is, in fact, the best. Well, I don't think that the parameters are written in stone, though. That's what I'm saying. They need to be written in stone. And it doesn't matter. But then don't you become the BCS if you do that? Where the computer can just pick it? No. I said in in the eyeball test. You've got those parameters, whatever they are, that are written in stone that everybody in the world can see. And then you've got... and, And that will determine... You know, like you said, three-fourths of, of the teams that are going to be in it. And then you say, okay, who's the fourth team? Well, you know, all the parameters are equal. Now you go back through and you, you're you going to have to watch tape and watch games and, and analyze it and come up with the best team. I would like them set in stone, but I don't think they can do that because I think the only thing that they can say every year is our the goal of the committee will be to get the best four teams in. And that's all they've ever said. Oh, yeah. Because it allows them to do whatever they want unilaterally to make a decision like, well, you had a, it was strength of victory last year that got this team into the playoff. Well, this year we decided they were conference champions. Yeah, see, I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, that's what they do. I want it the same all the time. If, If conference championships are important, which I don't particularly think they are, but if they think that's the important thing, then everybody has to understand that's important. Well, you told me in 2014 it was, and you told me in 2018 it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it, it, you know what? I don't think it's that big a deal simply because now everybody's got one and we see who some of these conference champions are and it's and they certainly aren't one of the four best in the country. So I think, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, um, then then what is important? And, and uh, you know, I mean, the simple, the head-to-head, everybody understands that record, of course, sure. You know, strength of schedule, sure, I can take that. You know, what what else? And, and you get work your way through that. And if everybody's all even and all that, then, you know, you got to give it to the eyeball test. I don't otherwise, know I otherwise you're fishing. You're, you know, you can imagine your dabble or whoever it is. You go undefeated and, and get try, knocked down the yeah, playoff. You're trying to you're trying to do everything that they claim is important. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, well, that conference championship, you just risk your star quarterback to, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. That's what oh, they do. Wait a minute. That's what they do, though. I, I know that. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. That's you not what that? I want. Well, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I want it the same all the time. I agree. A hundred percent. 
then all these poor coaches, they're out there saying, okay, now these are the things that are important. Right. Like, if you tell me that scheduling good games is important, I'll schedule good games. Sure. But if you tell me that I can get a schedule like Clemson's, not play and, anybody and good, the, and, the conference, and go to the playoff, yeah, I'll do that. And the conference will understand that, too. You know, so if you're the ACC and, and you know your conference isn't very good, well, those other couple of games better be good teams. Because your strength of schedule is not going to be your strong suit. Unfortunately for Clemson, they thought they did that. A&M and South Carolina, and both those teams suck. So, Yeah, but, and but that's a hard part, too. 615-737-1025 is the phone number. Your thoughts on the playoff, 615-737-1025. Stuart Mandel has his five observations he has from last night. I'm not even sure I have five observations from the playoff last night, but we'll get to those. Plus... Are we okay with the eyeball test being a factor in the playoff? We'll discuss. Make your picks now for the three college football underdog teams you think will win this Saturday. Weekly winners will win a pair of tickets to the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl at Nissan Stadium on Monday, December 30th. Hit up thegamenashville.com or the ESPN The Game Nashville mobile app and play today. Silly silly underdog picks is sponsored by Volunteer Hose and Gasket. Jared and the GM, it's ESPN 1025 The Game. For Penn State, there's so much more wood to chop. This week in Minneapolis, Reese, you just touched on they got to go to Columbus. If they survive Minnesota and they survive Columbus and they survive a Big Ten championship, it wouldn't matter oh, where they're ranked you got to assume that one-point scare against UNC is a big factor yeah. in the committee's yeah. mind. Why Clemson right now number five on the outside looking? But you know, to, The thing is, if you use your football judgment and say you think Clemson's one, two, three, for whatever, that's fine. But they are the only team among that top five unbeaten who has anything like that yes. on the resume against, yeah. a, against right. an average team. That was the ESPN crew talking about the playoff. Penn State is in. In all fairness, Floyd, I think you owe me an apology. <laughs> Let me say this. As long as Clemson, as long as the three were in there, for me, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, I didn't care who the fourth one was. Well, I'm not sure Alabama deserves to be in there, but that's a different make story. Any difference to me. Now, if Alabama wins on Saturday, then I think Alabama clearly deserves to be in there. But I'm not sure where we sit right now that Alabama deserves to be in there. But that's there's another story for a different day. In fact, I may consider putting one lost Georgia in right now ahead over Alabama. Oh, jeez. But that's, again, neither here nor there. Georgia's got wins over Florida and Notre Dame. Alabama ain't beat nobody. Now, if Alabama beats LSU, then Alabama's in there. But this is Stuart Mandel has his eye test. Can, or, I, can I ask? Ask me what? Who is Stuart Mandel? Stuart Mandel is like a really well-respected reporter and columnist. He was with Fox for forever, and then now he's with The Athletic. Okay. So he has his five key observations from the initial top 25 playoff. Number one. Clemson is not in trouble. I think everybody in America agrees with that and knows that. If Clemson wins out, they're in. And Clemson's probably going to win out. So I don't think anybody would think that Clemson is in trouble. I do wonder what would have happened if Clemson had lost that game to North Carolina, though. Oh, my God, were they close to losing that game. They still got to get to a championship game. Yeah, but they're going to be playing, like, Virginia. Yeah. Or Wake Forest. I mean, no, I, I think I, Wake, Wake's I, in their division. I, I've seen them. Play bad enough to lose to those teams. All I know is I've seen Louisville play every single one of those teams. Clemson's going to win the ACC by 45 points. In fact, Clemson came into Louisville and won by like 40 points, and Louisville's probably the second best team in the ACC, which tells you how bad the ACC is. I mean, the AC, I had text Trevor 
when Louisville beat Virginia, I text Trevor and I asked him because, you know, like if we go to the Orange Bowl, that'd be pretty cool. I asked Trevor, I go, who's the second best team in the ACC? And Trevor goes, probably Wake or Virginia. I go, well, we just beat both of them. So I don't know what that means. Number two, Stuart Mandel. The Alabama eye test is alive and well. With nearly every team Mullins, Rob Mullins, the chair of the committee, got asked about Tuesday night. He brought up something about its resume, either good or bad. Not so much, number three, Alabama, whose best win to this point is 6-3 and three unranked, tex- unranked Texas A&M. The same A&M team that Clemson beat. It's not unreasonable to say that if Penn State's marquee wins lifted it over Clemson, then why not Alabama too? Well, duh. Alabama didn't almost lose to North Carolina. That pretty much is the exact same reasoning the committee gave in 2017 when justifying the Tides' inclusion in the playoff when they didn't even win their division. That's why I'm inclined to disagree with Reese Davis and Kirk Herbstreit, who both say they don't think Alabama can afford a loss to LSU because of its weak resume. Alabama seems to be the one program that's immune from a resume criteria. Boy, ain't that the truth. Nobody ever looks at Alabama's resume and says, uh, Alabama doesn't play anybody. And the one game they do play, the two big games they do play, they get a bye before LSU, and then they get a basic bye because they play college crap bum of the South before they play uh, Auburn. Alabama, their resume is, is, is almost year in and year out so-so. And nobody criticizes it because it's Alabama, including you. Yeah. That's not fair. We criticize everybody else's I, resume. You, do, you know what? You, you can approach it any way you want. I mean, you can turn it any way you want. And I think you Alabama is be. one of the best four teams. <laughs> but their resume their resume is not very good. I, I, I give up. Georgia's resume <laughs> might be better than Alabama's, and Georgia has a loss. Uh, the Big 12 got some good news and some bad news. I don't care about the Big 12, so I forget about it. The group of five race is going to be intense. And then the fir- and then the last one, the college football playoff may have an optics problem if Oregon keeps winning. And that, of course, is because the chair of the committee is Rob Mullins, and Oregon is one of the higher-ranked one-loss teams at seven. I don't think Oregon gets into the playoff unless it's clear and obvious that Oregon should get into the playoff only because the committee and the country, generally speaking, shades a blind eye to the Pac-12. But if everybody has one loss, wouldn't an argument be made that a Pac-12 team might deserve it the most because they have to play the extra game? So Oregon loses one game to Auburn, but wins every Pac-12 game and the Pac-12 championship game, which is one more game than any other team can win in their conference. Shouldn't Oregon get into the playoff? I mean, for me, the the Auburn loss did them in simply because you Auburn's going to lose everybody got, else. L, yeah, you got LSU to beat Auburn. You got everybody, Florida. Everybody else that beat Auburn. Georgia yeah. and Bama are probably going to beat Auburn. Yeah. So now, where, where it could do somebody in is let's say Alabama wins against LSU, Alabama loses to Auburn, and now it's between a one loss Alabama and a one loss Oregon, and they both lost to Auburn. I still think they'd put Alabama in over Oregon. But Oregon would probably have a better resume than Alabama. Yeah, I don't know. Let's go to your phones. Let's go to Brian, who's up next on the playoff. Thank you for calling. What's up, Brian? How you doing, guys? Good. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, by the way, War Eagle, uh, I went to Auburn, so it's hard to watch Alabama win it every year. But <laughs> I'll tell you this. It's it just honestly, Floyd 
it honestly is just the Alabama magic that they've had for however long. It doesn't matter if Alabama loses two or three games. What will happen is Ohio State or somebody else will lose, and then Bama will be right back in there because <laughs> Saban has a lot of money. Pay these people. That's what we're going with. So that's all I got to say. War Eagle, boys. I just – Thank it's you for the awesome. call. <laughs> Spoken like a Drew War Eagle. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> I will say this, and I love Nick Saban, and I know obviously you and Nick are very close. Nick Saban gets the benefit of the doubt because he's Nick Saban. And I will argue that after he leaves Alabama, Alabama will not get the benefit of the doubt that it gets every single year, both preseason, during the season, and in the playoff, when he's not the coach. Well, I think it depends on whoever it is that takes over and what they do with it. I mean, if they get the I mean, next they, Saban, uh, then maybe he gets it. But yeah, like Kirby's they, whoever, not getting the benefit of the doubt that Saban's if, getting. Whoever takes over, you know, Coach X, I mean, they turn right around and win the national championship the next year and then skip a year and then win it again and skip a year, then you know what? They'll be right back where they were. Got a tweet in here from uh, Sean. Sean says, Jared? A&M sucks, question mark, because we lost to number one, number one, and number six. What sense does that make? I do not consider Texas A&M wins, Clemson and Alabama, to be good wins. Now, you want to talk about a good win? Georgia, Notre Dame, and Florida, those are good wins. Texas A&M is your marquee, this is my win. That win is not good enough for me, Sean, I'm sorry. This is what I have to put up with every day, Sean. Hey, Sean knows what I have to put up with every day. Feel and that's why Sean's my guy. Feel me? <laughs> Sean knows what I got to put up with every day. And that's why he's my guy. Let's go to Forrest, who's up next in the playoff. What's up, Forrest? Hey, guys. I just want to know how is it that the Ohio State luck guys are ranked as high as they are when LSU has definitely played, I think, a tougher schedule than they have. And it's always the luck guys in Alabama – and I think the only reason why Alabama gets in there so so much is because everybody from the committee is afraid if they don't put Alabama in there, they'll find a way to go to hell. I mean, think about it. Saban will kill them. Thank you, Forrest. Forrest, thank you for the call. I already lost my marbles over Ohio State at number one. It is inexplicable that the committee put Ohio State at number one over LSU. It, I mean, it's almost embarrassing to the sport of college football that they put Ohio State at number one over LSU. Like, just a shame. That they did that. I could care less. Because you know that it's going to change next week. Meaningless. LSU wins next week. LSU's number one. LSU loses. LSU's not number one. I mean, it's it's almost as simple as that. Coming up next, is Arthur Smith in trouble of keeping his job after this season if the offense doesn't turn it around? Is Arthur to blame? We'll discuss coming up next. Hey, the grand opening celebration of Electronic Express located at 1735 Galleria Boulevard in Cool Springs, Brings huge savings to all stores this week. Incredible prices on HDTVs, appliances, computers, mattresses, and more. Celebrate the cool, the new Cool Springs location this Thursday from 2 to 6 with Jared and the GM. We'll be live there tomorrow. Electronic Express, we make it happen. Jared and the GM, it's ESPN 1025, the game.